This is 2021. This is the Betfred Super League. Be ready. again and welcome to Eddie and Steve-O, the podcast, sponsored and supported by Super League's title sponsors, Betfred. It's a pleasure to have your company again. Steve-O's waiting, as always, in Australia. And Steve-O, we have a Challenge Cup final to look forward to this week. Uh, it's coming up next month, of course. It's between St. Helens and Castleford at Wembley. Not quite the final, so many people expected. No, I think you're right, Eddie, and, and we touched on that last week, especially with regards to that uh, <laughs> that they were going to come back and play a little bit better. Castleford said, and remember, they had so many players out, and I said it wouldn't surprise me if both Hull and Castleford get to Wembley. Now, St. Helens are a good side, there's no doubt about it, but I, I think that the injury uh, to one of their star players, and then, of course, they picked up the ball after... That, to me, changed the game. But we both knew that they would put up a better performance. And congratulations to Daryl Powell. Indeed so. Let's talk first of all about St. Helens and Hull, though. Uh, I mean, Hull, they started really well. They got stuck in to St. Helens, but then uh, the Saints took control. But the big talking point was when Josh Griffin, uh, well, he ruptured his Achilles, I think, and he was in such pain, he dropped the ball. Theo Farge played to the whistle and he scored a try. Now, there was a lot of controversy about whether Theo Farge should have stopped playing, should never have picked the ball up and should have uh, done a sportsman-like thing, sportsmanship-like thing, and uh, and not scored. Um, the whole fans were furious. Everyone else, though, has given him the green light and said, well, he's a professional and he has to... Play to the whistle. What say you? I agree. You play to the whistle. Simple as that. You don't have sympathy when it comes to a semi-final. You don't have sympathy in any game when it uh, when you're playing against a top side. And you've got to make sure that uh, people understand that. A lot of people are saying, oh, you know, it's not good for the game. Look, the ball's there in front of you. You pick up, pick it up. The whistle hasn't gone. You continue on. And I'm pleased that, uh, that the whole coach, he came out and said, look, there's nothing to worry about. I have got no complaints. If it would have happened with us, we would have done exactly the same thing. But it is a bad injury, isn't it? Oh, it's a shocker, yes. The, the thing is, had, had Griffin held on to the ball, uh, the game would have stopped and there wouldn't be a debate. Um, what would you have done? What would you have done in those circumstances? Pick the ball up and gone for a try. Simple. There's no, no, no two ways about it. You play as a professional player and you just get into the situation where there's a ball. 
You go over and there's a try line. It's simple as that. T-R-Y time it is. I mean, it is sad. Uh, I think a lot of the fans deep down would realise that you have to play to the whistle. And you can't come, you can't blame the referee either. You know, there's the ball, there's no knock on, etc. so forth. Pick it up, score the try. End of story. The youngsters came to the fore again for St. Helens, didn't they? I mean, mentioning Jack Wellsby there, uh, Lewis Dodd, he's getting more and more game time now as he spells James Roby. And Dan Norman named in the St. Helens first team for the first time on the bench and in the semi-final as well. I mean, they, they do it well at Saints, don't they? Yeah, they do. And the most important factor is that St. Helens, you look through their entire squad, they've got youngsters coming through. You look through a lot of the other top clubs, and I'm afraid that a lot older, there's not a lot of youngsters coming through. They, they nurture them well. And they must start the final as favourites again. I'm not denying that Castleford can't lift their game, but it's going to be very difficult as a side that are really playing outstanding rugby league football. They're a pleasure to watch. It should be a great game. It should be. It should be. And, and just before we leave uh, the first semi-final between Saints and Hull, I think uh, mentioning dispatches for... 21-year-old Cameron Scott, he, he was diagnosed with diabetes at the age of 14. He got a try, 10 minutes to go. He got the score back to 18 points to 21 in uh, in that uh, moment. He played in the cup quarterfinal um, as well, so he's got a little bit of experience already under his belt. But then Regan Grace, the interception try, after a 40-20 from Hull, from Jake Connor, he intercepted the no-look pass from Connor, and that was it. Saints were on the way to Wembley. Yeah, it, it, it always comes down to a mistake. Like you say, the, the, the guy got injured, and, and then, of course, you've got to take that chance. If they would have scored, who knows? They could have been going on to Wembley. But you've got to give full credit for Grace taking the advantage, taking the risk, because if he had not got the ball correctly, then I think there could have been a different result. But that's how it is. You take your gamble. If it comes off, then you enjoy the win. Well, they're on the verge now of an historic double. They haven't won the Cup since 2008, of course, the uh, St. Helens team. Um, but the uh, women's team, they lifted the trophy in the match that went out immediately before the, the semi-finals and uh, you know this was a, a tremendous game all right the scoreline was a bit lopsided for the Saints women against York City Knights but there's some girls there like Emily Rudge and uh, Jodie Cunningham Amy Hardacre uh, Emily Rudge was the player of the match they're all going to make a name for themselves and if they get this sort of publicity in the future uh, you know it is wide open for the women's game to make a big impact isn't it it certainly is, and I'm pleased for it as well. I, I, I do hope that next year that they play the final at Wembley. I think it's only right. They should have that same opportunity as the males have done for years and years, and I think it will be a huge boost uh, to the female game. If you just say to all the young players that are coming through, you have a chance to appear at Wembley? Wow, of course it is. 
Not only that, it will attract a lot more younger people into our game. Let's look at the second uh, semi-final now. Warrington against Castleford. I mean, Warrington were never in it, Stevo. You know, it was a masterclass from the Castleford coach, Daryl Powell. What a response to the 60-point hammering the previous week by Leeds. Yeah, well, we said, didn't we, that they will bounce back. Uh, and I'm sure that Daryl Powell, if he won't admit it, but against Leeds, I think he would have more or less said, look, put the cue on the rack. We don't want to really get involved here. And it's worked out for him, hasn't it? I mean, what a way to finish your career at Castleford, uh, to lift that trophy. It won't be easy against St. Helens, obviously. But I think he's done a fine job. He's a, he's a wonderful, wonderful coach. And I, amongst a lot of other people, have often said, why have the English camp ignored him? I'm not saying anything. there's anything wrong against uh, Sean Wayne. But to me, he has developed into one of the best coaches we've seen for many years. And Surely he's going to get one day an opportunity to become our national coach. He fully deserves it. He does, but as you say, take nothing away from Sean Wayne. He will motivate the England team in the World Cup. I've got no doubt about that. Maybe Daryl Powell just, you know, he's decided at this point in time that club coaching is, is better suited to him. Well, yes, but at the back of his mind, and every coach should have this, in their, in their logbook. Look, how about coaching your country? Playing for your country, coaching your country, it's the greatest accolade that any player or coach can get. And I'm sure that he was thinking even further from the fact he wants success at Warrington next year, but I think he's working on the, on the principle that if I'm that good, why can't I coach my country. And I think he will. I mean, he has developed over and over the years. I mean, there were times where people said that he doesn't have the players, but he generates a lot of, oh, he lifts them. And he certainly lifted them at the weekend. Oh, he did. I mean, uh, it was a pretty tight start. Um, then Jake Mamo was sin-bin for Warrington uh, after uh, 20 minutes for a professional foul. Warrington then 6-0 down. Eight minutes later, they were 18-0 down. Uh, what an expensive 10 minutes in the bin that was. You've got to take full advantage, and they have the players to do that. But we always said, we said it last week in regards that there'll be a different side. Castleford certainly was a different side. They got into Warrington. They just never allowed Warrington to try to get into any sort of rhythm. Remember what I said last week? You don't play open rugby league football early in a semi-final. You play tough. You play tight. You make sure that the opposition doesn't have any opportunity to get over the advantage line. The kicking game is important. Castleford added it superbly. They did, and they, they played really, really well. It looked slightly dodgy for them when uh, Jack O'Neill was sin-bin for Castleford. It looked like, uh, you know, Warrington might come back and Toby King's try, Widdop's conversion immediately afterwards. Uh, it was 27-14, I think, then at that point, to Castleford. But that was about as close as Warrington got. Yeah, look, <laughs> it's like a greyhound race. 
you've got to make sure that you hit the front as quickly as possible. And once you get to the corners, then you're on your way to a win. And that's what they did. They just crunched Warrington, put them out of it, put a, a, a negativity into their brain. And that is what it's all about. It's not about being fancy football at semi-final rate. And things can go against you, like we've just discussed. A drop ball, an injury, things like that. The intercept. Sometimes you've got to get a gamble. But the first gamble is stop the opposition. Get that defence solid. And the Tigers certainly did that. They did outstanding performances. I mean, Niall Evels, brilliant. Paul McShane, magnificent. Oliver Holmes coming back. Gaz O'Brien kicking brilliantly. They all played really well. But Jordan Turner, his hat-trick, he's waited all of his career to get to Wembley. And he dedicated the win to his granddad who was watching at home. That was a lovely moment. And it's going to be a great day for Jordan Turner at Wembley. It's going to be a great day for anybody who turns out at Wembley. I never had that opportunity. I lost in, in a semi-final, and, and I can assure you, I was devastated, absolutely devastated, that I never could walk out at Wembley. And I say, absolute, I'm so happy for anybody that walks out. And I just say, Jordan Turner, it doesn't matter how long you wait, Eddie, he'll get that opportunity. I'm, and I'm so pleased. And that's why I think that they should have the final for the, the ladies' game at Wembley. It's important. It's an institution. Even you played at Wembley, Eddie. And I, I never did. did. I, I know. <laughs> it was only a curtain raiser to a, um, a lower league football match. Uh, but I was there. I played at the old Wembley, steve In fact... I know, I know. In, and I, in, I hate <laughs> you for it. <laughs> in, in, in fact, immediately after that game, I hung my boots up. I thought, I can't do any better than this. Uh, I think I got a... I think I actually got a bit of praise from Nobby Styles of all people. I pushed the ball down the right wing and he said, what a cracking ball, Youngen. I was Youngen, I was about 40. What a cracking ball, Youngen. I said, that, that'll do for me. I'll finish here. That's it. I'm done. I'm done. So the boots went on the hook. But yes, yes, I played at Wembley. Something you <laughs> and, I did, and I didn't. And I didn't. I love it. I hate you. I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> Who's going to win at Wembley in July then, Steve-O? Is it going to be Saints or is it going to be Castleford? Do you know, I would have said straight away Saints because they've shown to me throughout this season that they've got the depth, they've got the, the, the firepower in the forwards. They've got everything that makes them a very, very good top side. But once again... Playing at Wembley sometimes can get into the nerves, especially a young player that maybe is in his first or second season. Uh, you know, the Wembley wobble <laughs> is well known. Anything can happen in the semi-finals, and anything can happen in the final. And Castleford, oh, the coach will be just, he'll get them to the peak of their power. It's going to be a fascinating game. I reckon... This is this could well be one of the all-time great of the Wembley finals. Well, let's hope so. Let's keep our fingers crossed. In the Betfred Super League, there was only one game over the weekend, and that was uh, Wakefield against Lee on Sunday. Uh, Wakefield, they made it three wins on the trot. Uh, Chris Chester appears 
to have turned the corner, which is great news for him personally. Poor old John Duffy, though, sacked by Lee last week. Played eight, lost eight. He lost his job. Who'd want it, Steve? Who would want this job at Lee at the moment? Nobody. It's as simple as that. And everybody will say, oh, here he goes. Steve was harping on about <laughs> it. But they never, they only had 50% of the finance. We've said that how many times? What chance did they have? Why did they select Lee? Surely it would have been better to have taken Toulouse. That's only my opinion. But to me, it was rubber stamped before a ball was kicked in the season that Lee were going to be at the bottom of the table. And I'm afraid Duffy has had to take the responsibilities. Someone's got to be blamed. A lot of people were saying that my old mate that I played with at Penrith, Tim Sheens, he'd be odds on for it. But no, he's on his way back to Aussie at a very, very good contract. He is now going to be the Rugby League Performance Director of the West Tigers. He's a brilliant coach, and it has surprised me that it has taken so long for people down here in Australia to understand that the West Tigers are getting a tremendous backup for Maguire at the West Tigers. Well, good on him, Tim Sheen. So he's heading home. Uh, the one name that is is being linked with the Lee Centurions is the man who is actually the caretaker coach. He's a former player himself, Kurt Haggerty. He has apparently said he's ready to lead Lee's Super League survival bid if he's given the chance by the owner, Derek Beaumont. Um, do you think they'll look further afield, though? Do you think they'll look for someone with a Tim Sheen's experience to try and get them up the table? Well, that, that's why a lot of people, including myself, perhaps thought that that's the way that Lee was looking at it. Um, I think we'll probably be left with no alternative but to give the assistant coach the opportunity. They may as well. They're not going to avoid relegation, Eddie. So how many coaches who are not connected to any club, how many coaches want to go to Lee? Well, I can understand what you're saying, but what an opportunity for a young coach, you know, uh, I don't know, an Andrew Henderson, a Lee Breers. I, I, I don't know, so, someone who is waiting in the background for his big chance. What an opportunity to get to Lee and get them away from the relegation zone and keep them in the Betfred Super League. That would be a fantastic stamp on their coaching passport. Yeah, of course it would. But <laughs> let's take boxing as an example. You put an heavyweight against a lightweight. You think the lightweight's going to win? No way. Simple as that. And whoever takes over the responsibility of coaching Lee will be a featherweight, not a heavyweight. I think that the players, have they've got together, they've played strong, and they were so close to beating Wigan. There was a, they've got so close, they just have not got over the line. But it's, it, it's over with. But who knows? Who knows in this day and age of rugby league? What will Beaumont do? Will he give this young lad a go? Why not? They've got nothing to lose. And, and I'm sure someone is waiting for the telephone call uh, from Derek Beaumont to say, how do you fancy it? Anyway, we, we'll wait and see. That's something that will doubtless emerge in the weeks uh, and months ahead. Now, we, we touched on it briefly just before. 
the Rugby Football League have had a major U-turn with this uh, academy controversy. Castleford, Hulkingston Rovers and Bradford have all now been awarded elite academy licences following the U-turn on a two-year probation period. Basically, they've got to show these clubs, they've got to show what they can do. We said last week that the RFL maybe just put a boot up the backside of these clubs saying that you have not performed in the past. But then they've realised that it could harm our junior development. And they've also realised that these clubs need finance. So therefore, finance will help them and it will help us stop a lot of youngsters going away from our game. And I'm pleased that the Rugby Football League have done the U-turn because it was an absolute disaster awaiting them. Absolute disaster. There's no good looking into the past and saying, well, you haven't done all this and you haven't done this, that and the other. A lot of these clubs would probably look at the RFL and say, well, have you helped us? Yes, I can see that. Um, but they're also saying now that they will work with Lee and Salford, whose applications stalled. But Dave Rotherham, who is the chief on-field officer at the Rugby Football League, has said elite now should mean elite. Everyone involved has a responsibility to protect and garner the game um, from the community right the way through to the professionals. The clubs have now got to play their part, steve They've got to start producing top-class quality players. Again. <laughs> yes, it's easy for the RFL to say, this is what you've got to aim at. But once again, we're only talking about the tip of the iceberg. We're not doing enough for everything that's under the water. In other words, junior development. A lot of the clubs are going to the wall. And that's why I was furious at the fact that they denied certain clubs to run the academy. I don't think they should. I don't think they should uh, feel um, disheartened, disgruntled by the fact that they, and we shouldn't either, by the fact that the Rugby Football League have, have made this U-turn. Um, it's not an embarrassing U-turn. They've just had another look at it. They said, right, okay, you've now got two years. You've got another two years. You've had three, they say, as we built up to this. Now you've got another two years to prove what you can do. Go out and produce some players. What would you do, Steve-O? How would you get the community game on side? How would you get the academy game on side? Where would you get the players from? First of all, the youngsters go to school. So therefore, we have to play rugby league at more schools. Spread the wings. Get coaches that are qualified to coach at the schools. And then into the amateur ranks. Get quality coaches. Run the coaching system. They used to have the system years and years ago when you went to Lillichall, where you went there and you spent a week. And then in that week, you could sense whether you're going to be a good coach or you wouldn't not be a good coach. And we've got to develop this even more and more. And sadly, we do not attract enough income at all levels in our game. And if we do not do something quickly, 
then I'm afraid all the other sports will start taking it away at junior level and at school level. We've got to start at the bottom, not at the top. You've also got to provide a pathway, haven't you? You've got to make sure that there is a proper academy competition and you've got to make sure, and this has been something that people have been going on about for a few years, and I know the pandemic interrupted it, you've got to make sure that the pathway from academy to A-team or reserve team rugby league is there for the youngsters to follow. Look, I'm not blaming the RFL totally, because quite a few clubs over the years have said we don't want the A-team, we don't want the academy team, we don't want the under-19s. This has gone on for a long, long time. It's been up and down and all over the place. Do they support all these uh, amateur clubs? I'm not so sure that they do. I mean, we've been carrying on for the last three weeks. How on earth can the RFL not give them the academy to these clubs? And they've done a U-turn. So at least we've helped, and I'm sure a lot of other people have, have put their put their, their, their oar into the water. Talking of which, um, this weekend Super League fixtures, Castleford against Hull, first up on Thursday night. Uh, the Wembley final, Steve-O, that might have been, but never will be. Yeah, it's going to be difficult, isn't it, uh, how Hull handled this. I think that they'll come out with all guns blazing and saying at least we could have beaten you at, at Wembley. That is a great incentive. But, of course, you know, Castleford will be saying, well, <laughs> we've got a good side too. So it should be a great game. Should be a decent match. And there's a, another um, marquee fixture, Leeds and St. Helens. Um, that's on Friday night. The Rhinos will be cock-a-hoop after the 60-point drubbing of Castleford the week before the semi, won't they? Well, they should be, but look, Agar is a coach that understands the fact that beating Hull by such a point, uh, so many points, is he'll just brush that to one side. He knows he's in for a very, very tough game. He knows that. Uh, but it is a good mark on the wall if they can beat them. Well, it's back to the bread and butter stuff of the the Super League this weekend for, for those clubs. Um, let's end, as we always do, on catching up with all the Aussie news. I know this is a really popular segment of the show each and every week. Uh, Israel Falau, this fellow won't go away, will he? Um, he's now lodged an injunction with the Supreme Court down there about Queensland Rugby League's uh, decision that they can't register him to play. They say they can't because Catalan Dragons hold his registration and there's no evidence of a contractual uh, release. So Israel Falau is stuck in limbo. Well, yes, and the lawyers have lodged that injunction and uh, in against the QRL. And part of it is that they believe that Falau is being discriminated against due to his religious views. Now, as far as I'm concerned, a contract is a contract signed on a piece of paper, witnessed by certain people. And as far as I know, Catalan have that piece of paper. How on earth can they think they can just walk away?
They say, oh, but it's an international contract. A contract is a contract, isn't it? Well, I would have thought so, yes. I just wonder if Israel is looking a little bit uh, green-eyed at the Catalan Dragons at the moment. They're playing really well. And this last week or so, apparently, um, they've been training on the beach. Thomas Bosk has taken them down to the beach to train. Well, they do that in summer here, Eddie, at, uh, in Australia. Quite often they'll go and train on the beach. Nothing better than strengthening the legs, running through the water and the sand. It's uh, Years ago, I used to do that. <laughs> did you? <laughs> yeah, where did you? Yeah. Where did you get any? Where did you get any sand hills in Dewsbury? No, I'm talking about when I came to Australia. Oh, you, right. you idiot! Well, <laughs> and, uh, uh, by the and don't hey, don't laugh. There's quite a lot of sand in the River Calder that runs through Dewsbury. They don't make them sandals, though, do they? There's no sandals for you to run through. Not in Jews. No, uh, no, no, no. And right. when you went to Australia, you were in Penrith amongst the Blue Mountains, weren't you? You were up and down the mountains rather than the sand dunes. Uh, I used to run on uh, the river at Penrith, the Nepean, and that had sand as well. There you go. Don't don't you realise that, that there's often sand in the rivers? <laughs> 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 Listen, on Wednesday of course, is the state of origin. And we will talk about that next week, about the first game, etc., and so forth. And, you know, both states know how to just rub each other up. Queensland once again saying, oh, we've got so many injuries, uh, not all our players are going to be fit and all this sort of thing. Well, they've kidded the New South Wales people for a long, long time. And they certainly did it last year. Uh, by the fact that uh, a lot of New South Welshmen just said it's the worst Queensland side that they've ever seen. And guess what? They they won the trophy, simple as that, to the Queenslanders. And they know how to stir it up. And in fact, two days ago, in one of the national papers, the media had a full-page article revealing that the Queensland squad of over 50% of their side full of outsiders from the South Sea Islands, Samoa, Tonga, Fiji. And the Blues keep saying, are these real Queenslanders? Oh, they know how to stir things up. And it, it will be a tremendous game. It always is. Yes, the and state of, of origin of, always is. Yeah, but a lot of people are, all, are now saying, oh, it won't be the same because they won't allow the biff. Uh, but they keep forgetting one thing. It's harder to hit someone with your shoulder into the ribs than maybe copping one across the chin. I'm not saying that that is not a reason for perhaps concussion, but to tackle someone fairly, you can still tackle them hard, and it will be a giant of a contest. Come on, the blows. <laughs> just going back to that uh, Queensland um, selection business, I thought it was just simply wherever they played their first game of rugby league. And that's the way that they qualify. Either in New South Wales they began or in Queensland. It doesn't matter where they're from. I isn't that right? It is. It's correct. You but... blues have got nothing to worry about then. You've got nothing to shout about. Well, they have. All I'm saying is it's to put on a national paper to have one. In fact, it wasn't just one page. It was a two-page pullout showing all the Samoans, the Tongans, the Fijians, you name them, that 
Papua New Guinea, it doesn't matter. This is what we call the media down under. <laughs> and also, also, of course, TV ratings and uh, hopefully a big crowd inside to watch. That's that's the most important thing. Yeah, it is. And they're hoping now that they've got the schedule back to its normal midway through the season. Remember, with the pandemic, they had to have it at the end of the season. Uh, and the TV ratings last year were not as good as what they expected. So the TV companies, and it's up for auction, if you want to call it that way, to the TV rights, that comes up next year. So they'll be wanting good viewing figures. And I think they'll get it because, it, as I say, it, it is one hell of a game. It state is. State of origin. It is. <laughs> and we will, we will pick the bones out of the first state of origin on this podcast next week. Um, any other gossip from the great down under? Yeah, well, we've already spoken about the fact that um, uh, Ivan Cleary, the coach at Penrith, he used to coach the Tigers. And, of course, with, with seven players missing from his squad, it wasn't surprised that the West Tigers beat Penrith. That's their first loss of the season, 26-6. But the fans at the ground gave the coach, Ivan Cleary, oh, the verbals were, shall we say, outlandish. And the reason why they did that, Eddie, is that when Cleary jumped the ship to go from the Tigers to Penrith, last year, when Penrith beat the Tigers on their own ground in 2020, he stood up and blew a kiss <laughs> in, full, in front of all, all the fans. And I can assure you, the verbals did not include a kiss from the fans to Ivan Cleary. It was, a, it was amazing. But the other thing is, Eddie, is Roger Tavasashek, right? He is set to depart the Warriors. He's also already signed for the Auckland Blues Union side in the hope that he can be selected for the All Blacks Rugby Union side to play in the 2023 Union World Cup. He's even switched recently from his fullback position to the wing to allow this young sensation, a bloke called Reese Walsh, a chance to settle into the big time. Remember that name, Reese Walsh. He's a cracker. And that takes me back to what we were talking about earlier in, in this program, in as much that the amount of young upcoming stars down under is amazing. And I'm afraid we don't have that opportunity in the UK, which is sad. Maybe they should take a leaf out of the book down there, another leaf out of the book and, uh, and maybe mirror what they're trying to do. Okay. I think we've sorted it all out. I think we've sorted <laughs> the world out once again. I think it's all good, all good stuff. And I hope everyone's enjoyed it at home we'll be back next week to have a look back at the state of origin and see what's going on in the Betfred Super League up here you keep uh, keep yourself under control don't lose too much sleep over the Blues getting beaten by Queensland and uh, we'll see you in a week's time ta-ta